Welcome to Pathway to Faith with Bishop Steve Howe. Turn your expectations high as you receive the word from our man of God. Prepare yourself to hear a life-changing message. Let's tune in now. So there's a song that we were playing at, at the beginning. Uh, it's called Let's, Let's Get Back to Eden. And uh, the words say, when God made man, he made a spirit. <clears throat> he had a plan that we live blessed. The tempter came. We were distracted. The tempter came. And then we fell. We were deemed to live a life that's beautiful, a life that's full, a life that's rich and plentiful. It is my goal to remind you of this principle. We're redeemed a newborn soul. So that is my goal to remind you of this principle that we are to live a blessed life, to remind you of who you are and whose you are and how we're supposed to live as children of the Most High God. So let's go ahead and, and get into the word. So if we could turn in our Bibles or if you could look on the screen to Genesis 1, uh, 26 and 28. From Genesis, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, uh, it says in the Amplified, it says, God said, let us father, let us father, son and Holy Spirit make man in our image according to our likeness. Not physical, but a spiritual personality and moral likeness, and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and over the entire earth, and over everything that creeps and crawls on the earth. So it stood out to me here that God said them. Though he was creating Adam specifically, singularly, he was thinking about mankind, all of us. So he was speaking specifically to Adam, but he was thinking about mankind. So my first nugget is God was speaking to mankind, but at the same time to Adam specifically. And we'll talk about that in more detail in a moment. Continuing on. So God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, granting them certain authority. Granting them certain authority. And said to them, be fruitful. Multiply and fill the earth and subjugate it, putting it under your power and rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves upon the earth. So he gave them, gave us complete authority. And then moving on to Genesis 2, 8 through 10. And the Lord God planted a garden, an oasis. I'll stop right here. When I was growing up, I used to watch uh, Bugs Bunny. I guess I'm, I'm dating myself there. And uh, Bugs Bunny would go, many times he was out in a desert and he'd spend too much time out there. He'd get thirsty in his mind, like I am right now. <laughs> um, and he would get uh, thirsty and his mind would start to play tricks on him. And he would see water and he'd see food or he'd see these trees with fruit. And he'd make his way to where he saw this thing and it would turn out not to be so. And it was, he would call it a mirage. So it was a mirage. But this oasis 
that God created was real. Um, and it says, and it says, in this oasis in the east, in Eden, delight, land of happiness, and he put man whom he formed and created there. So my second nugget is he created him from the earth. So outside of the garden, he created him from the earth, then created the garden and placed this man there. So the nugget is he created him from the earth, but placed him in the garden. Placed him in his specific place. So let's, let's, let's find out what was in this garden that God created specifically for his man. So verse 9, and in that garden, the Lord God caused to grow from the ground every tree that is desirable and pleasing to the sight. So every tree. Everything he could think of. So just think at that time, there wasn't much else going on. It was food. It was providing sustenance. It, was, it wasn't, you know, that, that, was, that was everything. So every tree that was desirable and pleasing to the sight and good, suitable, pleasant for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of experiential knowledge, recognition of the difference between good and evil. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four branching rivers. Skip, skipping down to 15, and I promise I'm going somewhere. I'm not just going to read the Bible to you. I know you have your Bibles at, at home. So skipping down to 15. So the Lord God took the man he had made and settled him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. I'm going to pause right there because that speaks to purpose. He created a set place for him, put him in that place, and told him specifically what he was to do. And this is going back to the first nugget I said God is speaking to mankind in general, but he also speaks to Adam specifically. And I think this is an example where he's specifically speaking to Adam, telling him what his purpose is, just like he tells you and I, my purpose is different from yours. And he tells us specifically what his purpose is. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, continuing on, you may freely unconditionally eat the fruit from every tree of the garden. Every tree of the garden, but only from the tree of knowledge, recognition of good and evil, you shall not eat. Otherwise, on that day you eat from it, you shall most certainly die because of your disobedience. So again, he was given an assignment, the God-given purpose to cultivate and keep the garden. And how hard could it really be, right? It said in the scripture that every tree that was desirable was there, sprung up from the ground. It was the most fertile place on earth. It had its own water supply to, to uh, feed or water the trees, the plants. And it was paradise. 
So how hard was it? He wasn't toiling. There was no toil. He was there to cultivate and keep the garden. Total provision, total provision for the vision and purpose God called him specifically to do. So everything he needed to do, everything he needed to do what he had been asked to do. So again, nugget three, God gave Adam the purpose to cultivate and keep the garden. That was Adam's specific purpose. His call specifically for him was to do that. That's nugget three. So to reiterate the perfection, this paradise of provision was the Garden of Eden to just illustrate it even further for you, for you to understand exactly what this paradise was. We'll go to Revelation 2 and 7. I know people call it heavy revy. You don't necessarily hear a lot of people preach from Revelation. I wouldn't even consider this preaching. I would more so say I'm teaching or sharing with you what God has shared with me. This message is really ministering to me, studying out what I need to do to take my walk with God and my purpose and vision for my family to the next level. And I'm sharing to, with you what God shared with me. <clears throat> it says here, and it, I saw this today, it might have been last night. And it says, Revelation 2 and 7. He who has an ear, let him hear and heed what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes the world through believing that Jesus is the Son of God, I will grant the privilege to eat the fruit from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. In the paradise of God. So understand that Adam was placed in the paradise of God. Not just anywhere, the paradise of God. So, so I'll compare it to this. Me and my family have gone on vacation. I'll say hello to my family. My son, Champion, is sitting here, and my wife, Magna, and my oldest daughter, Providence, and my uh, youngest daughter, Zoe. Hello, babies. <clears throat> we have gone on vacations. We've gone on vacations in the country. We've gone on vacations out of the country. And, you know, we've rented homes, we've rented cars, we've flown on planes, we've done eight great meals, we've done all of these things, and we would consider that we've lived it up on vacation, that we've done our thing on vacation, right? And I hope your testimony is the same. Vacations are important. Um, Oprah Winfrey is a billionaire, multiple times over last time I checked. If she was to vacation with the Cliftons, the way we describe living it up on vacation, she may have a different perspective of what living it up on vacation would be. Because of her context, her experience, she's a billionaire. She probably rents mansions. She, I've heard stories of, of, of celebrities and, and, and wealthy uh, super ultra wealthy people who bring all of their friends on vacation, all things paid for. She might go on vacation and not bring any luggage and buy everything new when she gets there. That, that might be the flow that she's on. And if she was to come vacation with us, she might look at it differently than us. So I'm saying all of that to say is perspective. 
So I have a vision in my mind what paradise is. I think I know. But what do you think God thinks paradise is? What is his perspective on paradise? So just let that soak in on. And we learned in the previous scripture that the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden, the garden that God created specifically for Adam and placed him in. It was in that garden. That garden is also the same garden that we see here in Revelations 2 and 7 is the paradise of God. And that for it to be called paradise from God's perspective, just lets you know how amazing it was. Amen. So understand he was placed there. We were there. We were there. And then we fell. Excuse me. And then and then we fell. But what exactly happened when we fell? <clears throat> Excuse me. So then going to Genesis 3, 17 and 18 to answer that question, what exactly happened when we fell? Then to Adam, the Lord God said, because you have listened attentively to the voice of your wife and have eaten fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. The ground is now under a curse because of you. In sorrow and toil, you shall eat the fruit of it all the days of your life. But thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. What God did, what we what happened as a result of the fall, amongst other things. But what I want to highlight right here. Is he made work, he made toil. And as a result of the fall. That is something that we all have had to deal with in one shape, form or another. But again, we'll, we'll, get, we'll, 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 we'll break that all down in a moment. <clears throat> so he made work, he made toil, and that's where many of us are still today. That's where many of us are still today, even though what Jesus has done, what he's done and restored us back to our proper place, our righteous place, our rightful place. Many of us are still toiling. So again, back to the scriptures, straight word. This is straight word, straight word. Genesis 3, 22 and 24. And the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, father, son, Holy Spirit, knowing how to distinguish between good and evil. And I'm going to pause right there for a second because Knowing the difference between good and evil is really a bad thing. Like when you think about your kids and when they're really young and they don't know the difference between right or wrong and they're just operating in fun and they're flowing before you have to put parameters around things. That's the place of freedom. And that's really where God wanted us to be, where you're not thinking about good and evil. That understanding was something that we didn't need to be concerned about. So we weren't burdened with sin. Right. That was that was that was the that place, that childlike place that he wanted us to be. So uh, continuing on. So how to distinguish between good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take from the tree of life as well and eat its fruit and live in this fallen, sinful condition forever. That's super deep that because of 
our understanding of good and evil and we had now fallen, there was a fear in God's heart that we would take from the other tree. There were two trees. A lot of times you don't necessarily get taught or you, you see the understanding that there were two trees. So you grab from the one and we ate from the tree of understanding of, of good and evil. But then he was scared that we would grab the second one and eat from it. And then we would live forever in that fallen state to never be able to be redeemed. That was what God was afraid of. And he put things in place to protect us. He put, you know, the cherubim in front of the tree of life. And it's an interesting thing when you study it out. He's not necessarily protecting or stopping us from going back to the garden. If you read it, study it out. He's not saying you can't go back to the garden. You just can't get to the tree of life. But that's in our protection. The cherubim is there with the blade that spins around in all directions to protect us from from going there in the fallen state and potentially eating from that and then being lost forever. So. So um, so we were so. So, again, we were banished from God. The garden was where Adam's assignment was. So once we were banished, we were lost from our assignment and we were lost from the provision to fulfill that assignment. And this is really where I want to get to. We were lost. We were banished from our assignment and from the provision to fulfill that assignment. The garden is where Adam's provision for that assignment was. But God still provided, though. And what's interesting when you look at that, when Adam did the worst sin ever, 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 I don't care what sin you've done. I can promise you it doesn't matter. It does not compare to what Adam did. Adam basically was, was responsible for the original sin. And his original sin cost us eternity. All of mankind forever sent us to we, we lost it all. So no matter. And, and God forgave. God still covered him. And in the next scripture, I believe it's verse 21. God made a tunic for Adam and Eve. So even after this worst, the worst thing ever, God still being the father that he has provided for him and created a covering for them to protect them. So think about so think about that, that he still gave even in that moment. Why didn't he just destroy Adam and Eve? There's other you know, stories in the Bible where he just he just wiped people out. What? Why didn't if you're still here, there's a purpose for you. No matter what you did. Amen. <clears throat> so God still provided. Just like God still provided for Caleb after killing Abel, Abel, I'm sorry, Caleb, Cain after killing Abel. He still provided for him. Cain, he was about to be banished and. He and he said, God, I can't I cannot handle this punishment. Please, please, God, reconsider. And God still heard him after he murdered his brother. And 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 protected him even in that time when he had done the worst. He murdered his own brother and like God provided for the Israelites in the desert. So he still provided manna from heaven. I've I've wondered in preparing for this message, why didn't God just flip the script on the Egyptians? Because he we made the Egyptians give us all of their riches. Why didn't he just kick them out of Egypt and let the Israelites stay there? He could have done that. But he specifically, it was something about place. We had to go to a place. We had to go to a specific place. Canaan was a specific place. Something specific had to happen in a specific place. So we took the things from there and went to this specific place. 
So, so nugget five is in in that in that uh, in that journey for the Israelites. He was he provided manna from heaven. He provided manna from heaven, and many of us are in that manna from heaven stage in our life, which is really just manna type provision, not the land of more than enough, not abundance, but just enough, kind of that check to check, just 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 getting there, not abundance. That's the manna provision. That was nugget number five. So this is really where I wanted to go in this this last few minutes that we have. So when Jesus died for us, for us, he restored us, he redeemed us, and we are back in right standing. We are righteous. We are now able to get back to the garden, to our place of provision, to our place of purpose, to our place of righteous provision, so we're able to walk out the things that God has called us to do, but many of us are not there. We're still in that manna state of mind. And, and though when Jesus died for us, he restored the decrees and the laws that were there, meaning specifically, as the scripture said, that we are to dominate, we're to subjugate the earth, that we're to be fruitful and multiply, all of those things were restored. We often as believers only operate in that in an emergency point of view or in an emergency firefighter a reactive thing where we've got a miracle that we need. God, God, please come in, come in and, and, and fix this thing now. We've seen God show up for us in that way, in a reactive firefighter way. And nugget six is we have relegated ourselves to reactive firefighters responding to emergencies. But vision and purpose are different. Vision and purpose are different. Vision and purpose require ultimate authority. You need to be in a place of ultimate authority. What am I talking about? Vision and purpose are proactive, not reactive. And I apologize, I'm looking down at my notes, but I'm giving it to you just how God gave it to me. So I want to be specific here. So I'm, I am looking down a little bit and I apologize, but I, I want to get this right. You must be in your place of authority. You must be in your set place. Now, place can be physical. Like I mentioned, there are many places in the Bible where they say you had to get to a certain place. Don't go here. Go here. Don't marry these people. Certain lands that you needed to get to. But not always. I would say that place is also between your ears. Place is also between your ears. I'm telling you, it's spiritual. We are created to be like God. What does that mean? I was having a conversation with my daughter yesterday about, it might have been this morning, about the message that I was going to uh, give now. And we are created to create, to make, to have things that be not as though they were, to speak things that be not that though, as though they were. To create, to have these thoughts, these unique thoughts and ideas that only I have. My thoughts and ideas, my visions and purposes are different than Minister Phillips and different than my wife and different than Deacon Huey and, and Mr. Rollins and, and Miss Joshua. They're different. But in that unique place, we're to bring those things that, that be not and bring them to pass and make them real. And that is your place of authority. 
Listen, listen, listen. Get this. When Adam was in the garden, he was he was he was given his purpose. And God said, you need helpers. So he brought every animal to him, every animal. And he let him name them. And he said, what you name them is that that's what they'll be. Adam didn't have to check in with God after that. He didn't say, God, do you think lion is a good name? Do you think tiger is a good name? Do you think blue jay is a good name? No, he gave him ultimate authority. His word was the final say. That was it. That's the place that we all need to get to, to get back to. For those that are there, praise God, hallelujah. I want to be like you when I grow up. That's the place that we have to get back to where we're in that place of ultimate authority. Now, what I'm saying is not for any of you to work, to operate in foolishness and go quit your job because you're not an ultimate authority there. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's OK to have a job. I work a job. But you also need to have a place where you're operating in that ultimate authority. That's back to Eden. That's the garden. That's the place where bondage will be broken off of you. That's the place where God will give you the ultimate provision to be as he created you to be. The visions that you have. Why do you keep, when you see this piece of property on, on 435, why do you keep focusing on, it's just trees. Why do you keep having these ideas for a t-shirt company? Or why do you keep having this idea for a restaurant? Or to, or to leave the, the, the company as an as a individual contributor and go break off and be your own of this, of this thing that you have a certain skill set in. And to be a contractor for someone. Why does this keep coming up? Because that's your place. That's your place of ultimate authority where you don't have to check in with anybody. There's nobody that you can say, hey, uh, do you think that's a good idea? And I'm not saying we all know in the multitude of counsel there's safety. And we all know that you want to have people to, to chime in on where their areas of expertise may be. But at the same time, it comes to you to make that final decision. That's the place of power for you. That's the place of authority for you. That's the place where God wanted us to be so that anything that comes out of that, we can then give all the glory to God and we can minister to those we're, we're born to minister to, to say how God did it. That's good, bro. Yes, sir. And we, and we have to find that place. So my charge to you as time is winding down is you must return to the garden. That's nugget number seven. You must return to the garden. You must return to that place where you have the final say. You must return to the place where the visions in your head are what you are focused on bringing to pass. That's what we're created to do. In order for you to be most fulfilled and free, you must find that space free to break bondage. It's fine to go to work, to trade your time for money. Trade your time for money. Trade your time for money. Though you've agreed to the contract for, your, for that dollar amount, regardless of how high or how little it is, you're trading your time for money. Slaves traded their time for money. It might not have been the amount that they wanted, but they were given provision. They were given food, clothes on their back, a place to stay. Trading your time for money just think about that. It's fine, 
but also find that place where you're not trading your time for money, where you're walking out your purpose, where you're walking out the things that God called you to do so you can feel how God created you to be. And hopefully the paradigm shifts where you're spending more and more time, more and more time, more and more time in that place where you're the final authority and walking out what God called you to do. Amen. Wow. What an amazing message. Thank you for listening to our Pathway to Faith broadcast. If you're ever in the Kansas City metro area, join Bishop and Dr. Howe at Harvest Church International Outreach, 4300 North Corrington Avenue, Kansas City, Missouri, 64117. Or catch our services live online at www.harvestchurchkc.org. Be blessed.